I just feel like airbending for me is just like with my personality and my temperament is very close to how I portray myself and how the world sees me. Though, can I just, you know, like I can be the avatar too. I'm open to that as well. Mind you, I didn't give you that option. So <laughs> got a little too much dip on your chip there. That's okay. you are doing phenomenal. I'm your host, Jalen, and welcome back to Retrospection Connection, where we take a more critical look back at TV and movies that left their mark on us in a formative moment of our lives. Allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media. Now, rather than drone on with a traditional intro, I have chosen to present you with, unarguably, some of the best television intro writing the world has ever experienced. Water, earth, fire, air. Need I say more? All right, well, if I must, I'll just take this time to gush over my friend and today's guest, Tamor, who so openly shares his life experiences and wisdom with us while exploring the world of Nickelodeon's 2005 animated hit, Avatar The Last Airbender. We had a really good time talking about this show, and the consensus is that Avatar never really gets old. It offers the audience something new and fresh to consider upon rewatch, and for that reason, it's timeless. If you haven't seen the show, I implore you to check it out. Of course, follow Retrospection Connection on Instagram at Retrospection Connection and share some of your thoughts about Avatar The Last Airbender. What type of bender would you be? Do you ship Katang, Zutara, Zukang? I won't yuck your yum. Anyways, let me know on Instagram. We hope you enjoy. Why, hello there, everyone. I have one of my newer friends in the virtual studio with me, and I am so happy to have them introduce themselves and also have them here to have a really great discussion with me about one of my favorite shows from growing up, even to this day. So it's a privilege to have this person here with me, and I'm just going to shut up and let this person introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Tamor. I am a friend of Jalen's. We actually met back in like 2019. Was it 2019 or 2018? 2019. 2019. Four, almost five years ago, we met doing new student advising for UCLA incoming students. It was an amazing time. I always thought he was cool, calm, and collected. So I really appreciated that. And I always thought he was so admirable, the way he dealt with his students, the way he dealt with his personal life, the way that he dealt with everything. I was like, wow, that's a person that I would be honored to be friends with. And also that's a person that I want to be in the future as well, because he was just like, Cool, calm, and collected. If you can't tell from his voice in person, he's even better. So, thank you. That's so sweet, too, especially because I was legitimately 18 years old. I had nothing figured out at all. So, it's so sweet to hear you say those words about baby Jalen. I <laughs> felt nothing short of that for you. I felt like you were very mature and responsible and thoughtful. 
I, I mentioned that you were a new friend in the beginning of my intro. And the reason for that is because I feel like we're just now getting to, you know, experience each other one-on-one and, and get to know each other in a different way, especially creatively, which I think is super fun. So I'm excited to both have this conversation with you and also see where, you know, our sort of creative dynamic goes from here. With that being said, you've listened to a few episodes or so I've been told. And so I will start off with a traditional question that I like to ask all of my guests. How would you describe your relationship to popular culture and popular media growing up? So in terms of popular culture, I would say I tend to go on the side of more popular media because I feel like in a sense I was raised more by the television shows that I watched the movies that I watched, a little bit about the books that I read, though I'm always trying to read more books these days. And also just like the video games that I played, I felt that they really shaped who I was as a person because during my childhood, both of my parents, they're divorced and uh, I have a sibling, an older sister. And during my formative years, she actually ran away from home. So it put a huge stress and kind of left my family dynamic shattered. So I was growing up in a very lonely situation. I felt like I didn't really have many people to rely on, especially as I became, you know, 10 and became a teen. It felt like a really difficult time for me. And so I often looked for TV shows and all that entertainment as more of a comfort. That feeling that a friend is with you to be found in those shows and in those movies. Well, firstly, I'm sorry that that feeling of loneliness and like folks weren't necessarily looking out for you. I'm sorry that that's a big part of how you felt growing up. You know, nobody deserves that. But I look at you and I just see somebody that's so warm and compassionate and embracing. And maybe part of that is because you know how it feels to be not embraced. Could be some of that. But I look at you and I hate that that's the experience that you had. You you spoke about how Because of that, you look to TV and movies and things of that nature to sort of raise you. That's the specific word that you use. So if you wouldn't mind, talk a little bit more about that. What do you think you took from that media growing up and why would you say that it raised you? Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of the entertainment that I consumed as a kid, it was on like channels like Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, Cartoon Network, and Typically when, you know, the night comes on, there was shows that came from Nick at Night, from, you know, Disney Channel and Cartoon Network was like Adult Swim too. But I would really stay with Nickelodeon shows. So those were my like bread and butter. I had SpongeBob, Fairly Odd Parents, all those. And I love those. And then when it came to the nighttime, I was watching shows like George Lopez, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Matters, The Nanny, all those things. And it was like, it feels like those shows were made specifically to have a message tied with them as well. So I was being exposed to, you know, concepts of race, poverty, different things like that, that I would not normally be involved with, especially living a sheltered and primarily lonely childhood. So I feel like being exposed to that really defined my morals and how I see the world and how I see other people. And also, one of the benefits of watching it on TV was that if a certain person was going through a struggle, oftentimes you never see what's under the mask and you never see how those struggles actually affect a person. So just watching it actually affect people and how 
certain problems with, you know, race, equality, anything else like that, how it truly deeply affects them on that TV show really affected me. And I felt like it's made me a more empathetic person wanting the best for people and also always striving for like equality and treating people fairly. I definitely see that in you. And there's something so special too, I'd say about like those sitcoms from the 80s and 90s. We can talk on and on about how cheesy and hokey it can be. And I think there's some charm in that too. But there were a lot of like really important, relevant social messages that were put into those shows. And I think for better or for worse, those shows took advantage of the fact that so many people were watching. Nowadays, things are a bit more segmented. People have their pockets of media that they take in. And so the messages are, I'm sure, still there, but they undoubtedly have a slightly smaller impact than those shows like Full House, Family Matters, The Nanny, etc. And so I, I really do have a special place in my heart for those sorts of shows. Now, one thing that's not exactly relevant, but you noted that you really gravitated towards Nickelodeon. I have to say I was a bit more of a Disney kid myself. I love them mm -hmm. both. They're both my children. But if I had a favorite, I think it would be Disney. This is more of a tangent, but I'm wondering, like, what about Nickelodeon in particular sort of made you gravitate towards there as opposed to joining Team Disney? Of course, of course. So I see you are a Disney child Absolutely. and have some issues here. No, <laughs> it, it wasn't necessarily anything bad with Disney Channel or Cartoon Network as like the big three for the kid channels. It was more that Nickelodeon had shows that I gravitated more because I found honestly more entertaining. Mm -hmm. Whereas shows like Hannah Montana and Sweet Life of Zack and Cody were great. I did feel that the issue with those was... I didn't see myself a lot represented in those shows. That doesn't mean that I didn't watch them. I actually loved watching Hannah Montana. I loved watching Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I can't even remember other Disney Channel shows just off the top wow. of my head. Maybe like Lizzie McGuire or something like that. Yeah, That's a Raven, uh, oh. Wizard of the Waverly Place. Some of these may be in or out of your you know, field of view, but yeah. there's some classics I, there. We got to give them a try. True, true. That's a Raven is an amazing show. That was probably one of my favorite shows. I, yeah. I saw a lot of my sister as Raven and me as Corey when I was growing up. So it was, it was a great show. And I just think the majority of the other shows didn't resonate with me as much. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Nickelodeon was fine that it didn't resonate with me because I understood these are cartoons. Like SpongeBob, mm. I didn't have to see myself in that. Fairly Odd Parents, you know, Avatar, all those other shows. I was like, oh, these are just entertainment. I hear you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I will say, too, I have my own theories about, like, the differences between Disney content, Nickelodeon content, especially around that time when we were growing up. And I do feel like Disney a lot of times went for a more, like, aspirational angle. You know, so they'd be like, oh, this is a pop star like this is a wizard not saying you can aspire to be a wizard not that mm -hmm. i know of but you know what i mean it was like things that you vied to be or, or really like wanted to have that sort of experience and that's not to say you didn't want to be one of the brothers in drake and josh or anything like that or even one of the cartoon characters but i will say nickelodeon to me always felt a little bit more down to earth and mm -hmm. like i could see myself in those sorts of characters and yeah i don't know maybe just growing up i wanted to be somewhere else and feel like i could achieve 
say what Hannah Montana achieved or have the powers that Raven Baxter or Alex Russo had. Very flimsy theory, but that's something that I've thought about a lot over the years. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I mean, I, I just feel like there were always hits and misses with both channels. When the show hit, they hit really well and they were mm -hmm. really well done. I don't know about Disney Channel shows and Nickelodeon shows today, but from, from what I feel, it just doesn't hit the same anymore. Uh, I, I really don't know. And there's a conversation to be had about nostalgia and its role in why we can't maybe see some of the value that Disney and Nickelodeon are putting out today. So I, I want to leave room for that. But mm -hmm. I got to say, I feel like, yeah, it's just not hitting the same. And I, I really do feel for these kids that are coming up. What are they, what are they watching? I, I really don't know. But at the very least, I hope that it's giving them some sort of value. All right. Well, speaking of Nickelodeon, I have it on good authority that we're actually talking about a phenomenal television show that comes from that network. Would you like to do the honors of introducing this show? Of course. The show we are talking about today is the very famous and very amazing Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes, we are talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. When I tell you, Tamora, I've been immersed in this world for like the past month because you and I know we have been struggling to get this episode off of the ground <laughs> for multiple reasons. But part of me is almost glad because I think it gave me a more sustained period of like being in this universe of the show because the world is so expansive and maybe that's something that we'll talk about because I think that's certainly a reason why I appreciate Avatar The Last Airbender so much. Sort of peering back into these movies and TV shows, sometimes it's as simple as watching it once or twice maybe and then I move on. You know, we talk about it and we go on to the next project, but this was really fun because I've been watching the show. I've been watching its spinoff, The Legend of Korra. I've been listening to the official podcast that is hosted by, I believe his name is Dante Bosco, who plays Zuko, one of the main characters for this show. Like I've been really trying and, and staying invested in the world of Avatar as we've been getting this episode together. Yeah, I'm super grateful. I, I think this is going to be a really great show to talk about. And I want to ask you specifically about your relationship to the show, because that's why we're here. Before we do that, though, I do want to give a basic synopsis for what this show has to hold. And then we can segue into whether you feel like that's an accurate read of the show. And if not, tell us why it's important to you specifically. Okay, basic premise. The series follows the adventures of the main protagonist, Aang, and his friends who must save the world by defeating Fire Lord Ozai and ending the destructive war with the Fire Nation. Now that's a bit bare bones, I have to say. It's three seasons of action and thought and emotion and all of the things. I'll just say for me, as somebody that has a personal connection to the show, I do think it's missing a few things. But we're here because this is a show that's important to you. And so I want to ask you, do you feel like this is a good summation of Avatar The Last Airbender? And if not, tell me what you think should be included. I think just by you saying it's missing a few things is a large understatement because <laughs> Avatar as a show holds so many layers that 
every single time I'm immersed in the show or I watch the show or anything I see related to the show, I always take something else away from it. And it's so, so incredible to be even classified as a kid's show because it has so many messages and timeless moments that I feel like cannot be covered in a brief synopsis. There's no possible way. Absolutely not. I mean, one of the reasons why this show endures as long as it has is because you can come back to it so often and find something new, something different, an interpretation that didn't quite click the first time you watched it or even the second or third time. So I, I completely agree with you. I think that there's a lot missing and really... I don't know that I blame the folks over at IMDb. It's really hard to encapsulate all that Avatar brings to its audience in like a few sentences. So that's why we're here. We're going to uh, hopefully fill in some of the blanks. Like I said, I wanted to ask you, what is your personal relationship to Avatar The Last Airbender? When did you find it? Why do you think it's entrenched itself in your mind and the way that you view the world more than some other shows that you watched at that time. Talk to us a bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. I feel like when the show first came out in 2005, it was a show that really defined the way that I view shows in general, mm -hmm. especially children's shows, because I feel that was the first show when I was a kid that I knew something was different about it. And although I was, I believe, nine when it premiered, I remember watching the two episode premiere, The Boy and the Iceberg, and I was like, oh, this is so cool and it's so amazing. But I always remember it as a kid as something really fun, really exciting. And only later when I watched it as a teenager, watching it from start to finish and not just like on random episodes on Nickelodeon, it really felt like, oh my God, this was such a amazing story. And the way that it was created was probably one of the best shows I've ever seen. And so... Just feeling that it was a shift in the types of shows that I started to watch and started to appreciate, it really defined like how I view entertainment. And also it affected me on like multiple personal levels all throughout every single time that I've watched the show, which I think I've watched the show maybe three times in my life. Well, you mentioned that it changed the way that you view television, which is a lofty statement. There's a <laughs> lot that could go into that. And because I've seen the show and I appreciate it, I know exactly what you mean. But for folks that maybe haven't seen the show, and we'll get into specifics in terms of themes and concepts that we both really love. But in broad strokes, what do you think has changed in terms of what you're looking for, for the media that you consume these days? That's a good, great question. I think one of the biggest things that Avatar changed my mind was also a shift in entertainment when Netflix and all these other streaming services popped out was a change from where every single time you watch an episode, a plot point is introduced in the beginning. And by the end of the episode, it will be resolved and you can watch it without watching any of the other episodes related to the show. With Avatar, I feel like it was the first show, although in season one, it started off as a children's show, meaning every single episode was kind of loosely related to another. By the end of season one and the entirety of season two and three, if you had not watched the previous episodes, they just wouldn't make as much sense or have as much of an impact. And I feel that changed the way I view shows, stories, movies, all different forms of entertainment 
because now I'm looking more for character growth and the way that these stories affect and change people throughout rather than watching shows like, you know, SpongeBob or Fairly Odd Parents or like other shows where it's like Seinfeld, where they say the ending of Seinfeld, they don't learn anything by the end. And so that's changed the way I view shows and other forms of entertainment because I'm looking for something that actually grows, becomes something much greater than what it started as. That's an excellent point. And I think Avatar The Last Airbender is the epitome of a show that grows in scale and meaning as you stick with these characters and their motivations and what they go through and how it strengthens their their philosophies on life. All of that, I think it, it's such a rewarding watch. And I really like too what you said about your media consumption sort of trending into like watching more things that are continuous and build on the foundations that were created in previous episodes. I think Avatar did a really good job of balancing that. Because I will say at first I was like, oh, Avatar is like super continuous and, and it always builds on what was established in previous episodes. And that is truly the case. But I think they do a good job of sort of writing that line. And so you will have episodes that are really fun to watch without the context of the other episodes. And you don't necessarily need to have seen the show up to that point to fully appreciate it. But I think it does reward its audience. And it's meaningful that the audience was so young when we started watching. It, it sort of trained us to care more about that sort of media that challenges us to to keep up with the story and the characters and all that they're going through. Before we get too far into themes, characters, things of that nature, I was wondering, would you be able to sort of give us a quick rundown of like, who are our main characters? Since I know we're going to be throwing around a lot of names and for folks that haven't seen the show, I don't want them to be entirely lost. Help us out. Of course. The first, the main, and the biggest character in the show is Aang, the boy in the iceberg who was frozen for a hundred years. He turns out to be the Avatar, which is this multi-generational being that can master all four elemental powers, earth, fire, water, air. And he's discovered by a sibling relationship with Katara, a waterbender at the Southern Water Tribe, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then her brother Sokka, who's a warrior. Katara herself is a waterbender, so she's able to control the element of water. Immediately after Aang, the avatars resurface, you're introduced to Zuko, a firebender, and his uh, uncle, Iroh. And both of those characters are seemingly put as the antagonists, hunting Aang and making sure he, as the avatar, doesn't restore balance because the Fire Nation has taken over and waged sort of an all-out war against the world to control it. And they've done horrible acts like committed genocide against the air nomads and currently are in the process of conquering the world. So that's pretty much how it starts. Later on, you're introduced to other characters such as Aang's friends and also pets. The lemur, I believe. Yes. It's a lemur. Lemur. Momo and his sky bison, which they use to fly, Appa, as well as Aang's earthbending teacher, Toph, who's known as the blind bandit, who is unable to see, but is the best earthbending master you will ever see in the show. 
And it continues on to introduce other characters like Zuko's sister, Azula, Zuko's father, the Fire Lord himself, Ozai, and other various characters that have an impact on the show and its characters. I will say for a cartoon, I, I think that the show did a remarkable job of introducing characters, getting you to care about them in ways that go far beyond just being like superficial. I feel a personal connection to all of the characters that you listed. To varying degrees, of course, I think we all can relate to maybe one character a little bit more than the others, but I feel a personal attachment to all of these folks, and it's really cool to see each of them grow and evolve as the show goes on. So I'm very much so looking forward to talking about some of these themes and how they relate to both the characters as well as maybe even ourselves. I'll say something I really appreciated about Avatar The Last Airbender, it showed me as like a little boy at the time that you can develop really rich relationships and connections with people that aren't quote unquote your family, at least not biologically. And for me as like a gay man, having to establish community outside of the traditional family unit because not everybody's vibing with what I'm giving, right? And I think it's super cool that Avatar showed these characters like Aang, Sokka, Katara, Toph, and even Zuko towards the end come together and find themselves feeling like they belong with one another and like their relationship serves a greater purpose. That's a connection that I feel like I found with my friends, feeling like these are people that despite us not being linked from birth, I know that I want them to be in my life for the rest of my life. And um, it's a very powerful feeling. And so to be able to have seen that at like five years old is really dope. But I know in the planning stage for this episode, you were telling me that the sort of theme of belonging and connection was something that really resonated with you, both when you watched it for the first time and especially now to this day. So I wanted to ask you about that. What do you make of this theme in the show? How does it connect to your life and your relationships, if at all? Yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like the concept of like belonging and also the difference between a family versus your found family is so important and strong in Avatar The Last Airbender because, as I mentioned, I watched it when I was a child. I really appreciated all the characters that it introduced, like Aang, Katara, Sokka, Toph. They were all so fun. They were all different from one another. They felt very happy to be with one another. And they also felt very accepting. Even though Sokka couldn't bend, he could provide his humor or his skills as a warrior. Katara as a waterbender. Aang as the Avatar. Toph as an earthbender. They all brought their sort of different skills. And also they were found to have a very accepting home that I felt as a kid I loved and admired because I wanted that for myself. Because growing up in a Muslim household in California, I was never being surrounded by people who looked like me and also people who sort of thought like me. So I always felt that I was always different. And growing up and becoming a teenager, I realized that I was different. It's not that I just felt different, that I actually was different. And it bothered me a lot. I felt that I was overcoming struggles, going through life with all these sort of burdens that a lot of people were not feeling to the point where when I had rewatched it when I was a teenager, 
it was actually very close to where my brother-in-law had passed away from leukemia. And I remember feeling so angry, so just like distraught over the world. And I also felt like I just didn't fit in so much that when I became a teenager, I really empathized and related with Zuko because there are several times in the show where he's trying to find his own path that he's different from the others around him. And he's just trying to establish his future and a future where he finds peace. Because for my time during that, I always felt surprisingly that I was always having like a sort of a fire within me. Like I just couldn't drench it. I couldn't calm it down. It always felt like I was really angry. Seeing Zuko not only feel those same feelings, but also find his family in the end who accept him for who he is and also really enjoy his presence and also love and care for him. Really, to be honest, it made me upset because I wasn't finding that. But it also gave me some hope to find that in the future. You know, I was actually talking to a friend that is just getting into this show very recently. And Ooh. I was like, I'm super jealous of you uh, that you get to experience this for the first time. I, I wonder what that's like. Can't remember. But he like made a really interesting note. He, he thought that Zuko was, I think, 30 years old in the <laughs> show. And so he thought it was super odd that he was antagonizing these little kids like Aang and Katara and Sokka. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a kid. Like he's maybe a little bit older than Aang, but like not by much. These are all kids sort of learning and growing through experience and mistakes. And I say all that to say that I, I love that you resonated with Zuko because I feel like Folks sometimes identify with Zuko, but only towards the end, once he found himself and understood mm -hmm. what his true purpose was in the world. But I know I can relate to Zuko in a lot of ways prior to his heel turn and realizing the error of his ways. That frustration and that anger that can get pent up in you from feeling like people just are not understanding you and like they, they don't want to be connected to the real you. They want the projected version of you that makes them feel more comfortable. And that's a really hard feeling to go through at any age and to experience at any age. But to feel like that as a kid, which is what Zuko was, when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, it fucking sucks, for lack of a better phrase. I don't know, I, I really appreciate you just coming out and being honest about that, that you felt seen and heard by Zuko. So I wanna to touch on a few things you said. First, Zuko was probably seen as older by your friend because he had that bald haircut in the beginning with just that ponytail. <laughs> because true. definitely, I would not think he was a teenager from the first appearance. But obviously, later on, you learn, I think he's like 16, 17, mm -hmm. possibly in the show. But also, the idea that your friend is watching the show for the first time, it is an amazing thing to experience for the first time. But don't discredit the second time or the third time that you watch it because this show is so great that no matter where you watch it in life, you'll always find different ways to connect with it and to empathize with a lot of the characters. Though I feel like if you watch it one time and then immediately watch it again, you'll still learn some other stuff, but it won't hit as much as if you had some time in between. And the last thing I wanted to say was just relating to Zuko. It was very impactful for me because, you know, like, as you said, it, it sucked to not 
be seen, but I feel like being able to relate with a character who was essentially seen as the villain really relates to me because after the 9-11 attacks in America, it was like I had a crisis of faith and I could not see myself being a Muslim in the future, which I am still not a Muslim. I don't identify as a Muslim, but it was crazy for me to feel also like I was the villain. Like I was someone that shouldn't be here. I was someone that didn't belong. And I was someone who was the bad guy, mm -hmm. even though I felt like I wanted to be good. And watching Zuko sort of overcome that, both that stigma of being the bad guy, but also atoning for his past mistakes was like the greatest source of hope and optimism that I saw in myself and that I continue to strive to do just to be the best version of myself and also be the best version of myself for others around me. God, Tamar, I'm, I'm so sorry that you felt that way. You were a baby. Like when, <laughs> when that happened, I mean, nobody that was not directly involved in all that happened should feel any bit of responsible, but just thinking about little Tamar feeling that way, it, it yeah. gets me, it gets me. But it's so interesting how that feeling sort of converged with this little TV show and this character. And you felt seen yeah. in their desire to redeem themselves and, and be seen by the world as somebody that's like worthy uh, of being in that space. And I wouldn't draw a direct through line between your experience and, and Zuko's, but I think mm -hmm. it means more that you were able to and, and you found some peace in that. I think you absolutely deserve that. And I really, I really resonate with Zuko's belonging in the team at the end, because one of my favorite lines of the show is when he confronts his father finally, and he admits that the Fire Nation was a nation that everyone was taught was the greatest nation in the world, but they've been really ruling with fear and the whole world essentially hates the Fire Nation and him bringing that concept to what he says, where he wants to rule with an era of kindness and peace rather than fear. I feel that's so timeless because just like how I felt like I was the villain, a lot of people are feeling that way. They feel like they just don't belong in society and they feel like society absolutely just doesn't approve of their existence, whether that's the LGBTQ community, whether that's based on your race, ethnicity, anything else like that. A lot of people are just feeling like they are made to be the villains. And for some reason, a lot of groups find it's us versus them. To see Zuko go from an us versus them to it's never been an us versus them, but just us mm -hmm. was such an important and amazing concept that watching as a kid, like subliminally, like I would get all that information and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go eat cereal or something like that. But as an adult, I'm like, wow. I can really see how impactful this show was and how lucky I was to not watch it just only once, but multiple times throughout my life. It's such a liberating feeling to come to that point of realization of like, you know what? Not everybody is against you. Some people might be. And, you know, mm -hmm. you hope to grow and gain the discernment necessary to sort of distance yourself from folks that do not wish you the best. But you can get so bogged down sometimes and for valid reasons, just in that mindset of like, nobody's looking out for me. You know, it's me against the world. 
And it may be that case in certain instances, but it can be so freeing and perspective shifting when you're able to realize it. Like not everybody feels that way. And some people do absolutely want the best for you. And when you are open to that energy and, and you are ready to reciprocate that, I think the world can open up for you in a whole new way. And so it, it seems like you've come to that place for yourself. And I'm, I'm really glad for you tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. No, it's, it's not an easy path. No. And yeah, I just find like, especially the, the videos that I've started making, just becoming more thoughtful, more introspective, have really changed my life because it showcases for me like who I want to be and who I'm proud to be. Absolutely. And your videos are a topic that we will be getting to because <laughs> you will not get me out of this episode without shouting you all the way out and really reflecting on how your creativity is in any way connected to the creations that you absorbed growing up like Avatar. So we will definitely touch on that. But you mentioned a really poignant moment between Zuko and his father at the end of the show. And there's this infamous moment where Zuko redirects the lightning that his father shoots at him. And lightning is like a really big thing in, in the show, especially as far as the Fire Nation is concerned. Not very many people are able to do it or harness that sort of power within firebending. And Zuko's uncle Iroh teaches him how to redirect lightning and sort of like mm -hmm. take that energy, which I interpret it as a bit negative, especially in the context of Zuko and his father, and redirect it and say that this is, this is not my energy. I, I'm not going to harbor this hate or this resentment, this frustration, whatever. This is yours. This is not mine. That's such a powerful feeling. What I want to touch on a little bit more, though, is that relationship between parent and child. And you've sort of alluded to it a little bit in the context of your life, as well as Zuko and his relationship to Uncle Iroh. But talk to us about how the show navigates parental figures and that sort of thing, and, and maybe where you see yourself in, in that story as well. I really appreciate you bringing up the lightning and how Zuko redirects that lightning. Because the, the show does portray parts of elements like as good and parts of elemental bending as bad. So where Aang first attempts to firebend, he ends up burning Katara and he vows that he'll never do that ever again. And it's established that firebending, when used for destruction, is by itself evil. But it can be used for good. And all elements can be used for good. But lightning is one particular instance where... It's only ever seen as the bad people do it because lightning in itself, it's a very destructive, powerful force that really has not that much control. And the same way that Katara finds that old waterbender who bloodbends, how they can use this power for true evil. It really portrays a sense of morality when using these very destructive forces. Avatar in itself is establishing that morality too throughout the show, whether it's in the episode of Jet, who wanted to blow up an innocent village, whether it's using bloodbending or lightning to attack someone throughout the show, it portrays that morality. And I do appreciate you bringing that up because that's like such a huge topic. It's crazy for a children's show to essentially establish that sense of morality 
because not many shows do that. And not many shows are this grand in scale where mortality, death, and other things like that are seen as common occurrences where it's talked about in episodes. And I feel like that's where Avatar really shines and how it relates to parental figures is where they establish a large sense of morality, both for Zuko and the show, but for its audience. And that's through Uncle Iroh, because throughout the show, Zuko has a scar on his face from when his father taught him a lesson. And although that's, you know, a large familial abuse, he is seen as always looking for that approval of his father, even though his uncle Iroh both instilled him with confidence, wisdom, and also nurtured and cared for him in a way that his father never did. So it's another sense of like that found family aspect, even though it's his uncle, but you never know exactly where these sort of parental figures you'll find throughout your life. And I know as my parents are divorced and my dad passed away in 2016, I always felt that I didn't have a strong father figure in my life, which caused me to feel a bit conflicted when growing up because I never felt that I was ever being taught how to be a man, essentially, how to be the person that I'm supposed to be. And for some reason, I always thought that I was looking for that in a father figure, though I was getting it from so many different locations, whether that's people that I knew, whether that's entertainment that I watched, or whether that's listening to Uncle Iroh say his lines to Zuko about wisdom and philosophy and just how to be a good person. Avatar does a great job at letting the audience learn a lot about different morality, as well as where you can get those sources of morality from. A lot of non-conventional places, you know, and I guess uncle is is relatively close to father, so mm -hmm. it's more on the conventional side of things. But nonetheless, like finding that wisdom, that insight, that perspective from places that you wouldn't have immediately anticipated finding them and being open to that knowledge as it comes to you. I think you're right, is a really big theme in Avatar The Last Airbender. Something that I, I did want to get to as we were talking about the role of the father figure in particular in Avatar is, I guess, this idea of being your own father figure and, you know, sort of stepping up to the plate, being the dad that stepped up in the case of maybe your father not doing the same. I'll say that for, for me, I have a complicated relationship with my dad, and I don't know that they'll ever listen to this. We'll see. I love him and, and I care about him, but... I think in a lot of ways, I've had to sort of step up and be something of a paternal figure in my own life and loving myself and caring for myself in a paternal way that I wasn't given when I was growing up. Does this show inspire you to sort of be your own father figure in certain ways? Absolutely. That's a great question. And I think the show absolutely does inspire me to be both a better person and also that father figure to take care of myself. Because throughout my life, like I love my father. He was a really great guy. And although there was no issues that I had with him, it was a large distance and separation between us because of the divorce. And he never really lived that close. And I would visit him for certain times. As he's passed and I really recognize the things that he did for me, I feel a little guilty because I should have been there for him more than I was because he would, you know, I, I've made videos about this too, but he would 
watch some of my favorite shows just to like learn about them and talk to me about it. He would, you know, provide me like with gifts. I know he wasn't very wealthy. He worked at Walmart and he was like always, you know, struggling in that sense, but he always tried to connect with me and spoil me in that sense. Though I wish I spent more time with him, I do recognize that I was doing the same thing that you were doing and trying to take care of myself because there was a lot of things that I was going through that I didn't ultimately share with him. And though I think it would have been beneficial if I had mentioned it to him, it's a lot of like taking care of myself, working through these things that now that I feel that I'm at the strongest point in my life that I've ever been, he's no longer there. And so it makes me feel like I still want to make him proud and I still want to take care of myself and be that figure for myself, but also try to inspire and make others feel the same sense of love and compassion that they should be feeling from both themselves and from like a father figure in their life. Wow. I, um, first of all, I, I felt Uncle Iroh all up in through <laughs> what you were saying, especially towards the end, because he was a figure that in, in his case lost his son. And I think his way of sort of not making up for that, but making peace with it for himself was being a, a paternal figure to those around him, specifically Zuko. But we see in certain episodes that like he would offer that sort of father figure sensibility to really anybody that was open to embracing that and was willing to hear what he had to say. I definitely see that in you. I felt that when we first met. The way that you described your father, he sounds like an excellent man. And I think you learned a lot from him. I think a big part of growing up is moving that goalpost further. Whatever standard your parents might have set for you, being able to take things a step further for yourself, provide yourself with the care and the love that maybe for whatever reason, those parental figures in your life just weren't able or, or ready to give to you in the way that maybe would have been best for you as a kid. Yeah, I guess I just, I really admire you for taking on that responsibility because it's a real one. A lot of people forego that and they just look back at what could have been done. That's valid. I feel where that's coming from, but I, I think you're doing yourself a real service by acknowledging how your father was there for you and how he supported you and knowing the ways in which you can be there for yourself. I just think that's really cool. Thank you. Wow. You got away with words. I try. I really do try. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> when you were talking about morality and sort of this idea of using this show to establish your own sense of morality and figuring out what is important to you relative to what's important to somebody else and you know, figuring that out for yourself. My initial thought was the theme of balance that is, I think, really crucial to the show and was really cool to watch as a young kid. Because I think as you're learning to reason and think through things when you're growing up, you're mostly taught to at least initially view things in black and white, or at least that's how I was taught. Just because it's simpler. This is good. This is bad. And, and more of a binary. This is what, for example, a man is. This is what a woman is. This is the role that they play. Very like strict, rigid, 
foundations for the way that things should be, how you should act. And I really like that Avatar The Last Airbender invites the audience to think more critically about the way that things, quote unquote, should be, what your role should be in society, in your family, with your friends. Really, it gets you to think about the balance that is required to make anything work. I say all that to say that I found it really fascinating the way that Avatar works with gender and gender roles in its story. And I I wanted to ask you, how do you feel that Avatar The Last Airbender approaches the topic of gender? Do you feel like it was ahead of its time relative to other kids shows that were out? What are your thoughts on all of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, growing up, I've always had my mother as my primary uh, parental figure. And my mother is a very strong woman. She is very, you know, dedicated and stubborn at times, like a true powerhouse. Katara, as the first introduction of a female character for the show, is someone who is super powerful, is an amazing waterbender. And at the same time, she's able to experience and embody empathy and care for one another. The writing for her character is so well-rounded. It treats her as like a full character. And the way that the show incorporates that with other characters, including Toph, Azula, even any of her friends, all those other characters, they don't feel like they are designed to be one thing. And the show strikes a huge balance with the way that the characters' personalities are and the way that they fit into the world. And I really appreciate that for the show because growing up, I've always had that strong idea of women as being capable, being powerful, being just absolutely amazing people that the show always portrays that. And I love also the sense of balance because the way that you described it, it never shows you like things are black and white. So when I watched it as a kid, I was like, Fire Nation bad, everyone else good. But really watching the show and seeing how it balances other aspects to it, not only like the morality of the Fire Nation, how the children were being taught that the Fire Nation is the greatest nation in the world, to also just other aspects of life, whether that's animal cruelty, whether how we experience and treat our animals when Momo and Appa are in danger, especially in the episodes like Appa's Lost Days, which are so hard to watch. Just how it balances that, how you're supposed to feel for them as characters. And lastly, how the point of the show is balance because Aang is the avatar. He's balancing and mastering all four elements. But at the same time, it introduces the concept of a spirit world, this sort of world that's a reflection kind of of our own and this one that's beyond our own. Aang is really the mediary between both the physical world and the spirit world and to treat both worlds with compassion. Absolutely. I think what you said, all things that I resonate with and and things that I admire about the show, what I really found eye-catching and captivating about watching it, especially now as an adult, is that one thing that that frustrates me with some shows is like, they'll have a minority character, whether it be a woman or a person of color, somebody of the LGBTQ plus community, and It's like they're trying to overcorrect for all of the quote-unquote bad representation that's been made of that group in the past. And so then that minority character becomes this ultimate paragon of good and can never do any wrong. They're not morally gray or conflicted ever. 
they're just always good. And I can see the validity and the purpose in that. And I think there might have been a time where that was really just necessary to change hearts and minds of the people that were watching. So I, I got to leave space for that. But I think we're certainly at a time where like we can allow for more nuance and layers to these characters, especially for an animated kids show. Avatar The Last Airbender was way ahead of the curve as far as representing these characters like Katara, like Toph, like Azula, and giving them complexities. Katara wasn't wholly good. You know, she had her issues. She had things that she had to work through over the series. Yet and still, it didn't undermine her power and the strength that you clearly saw within her character. I think it, if, if anything, it only made her seem stronger and more competent and assured within herself because she had to work through those things. It was really rewarding to be able to see these characters, like, like you said, not fit into those boxes and, and learn to balance the parts of themselves that were maybe contradictory. You see them start to understand the different parts of themselves and, and learn to balance that. And it's really beautiful to see. But yeah. That being said, that makes me think of a question that I want to ask you. How do you feel like you've come into sort of balancing the different parts of yourself, especially when it comes to you internally, emotionally, mentally? How has that process been for you as you've grown up and tried to contend with all the things about you that are maybe contradictory or that don't make sense on first glance? That is, that is a great question. And that's a question that I still ask myself today is how do you balance every single aspect of your life? And I feel like ever since my latest video, which I'm going to do a little self shout out, but it's about Barry, but it's also about trauma and displacement. And that video, when I was reading a little bit more about trauma, really taught me that a lot of the things that I experienced obviously were very traumatic for me, very defining, and they formed who I am today. But also the way that I can address many of these issues and the way that a lot of people need to be able to address these issues is through stability and finding that balance between striving for your necessities and striving to struggle to live every single day and being able to balance that with your self-actualization, what you want to do with your life, what you find joy in, what you find happiness in, what you find meaning in. And I feel that for the longest time, it's always felt like a struggle for me, whether that's, you know, going to school, not knowing your future, because it's like, oh, shoot, like, I need to graduate, I need a job, how am I going to get money? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And it's always felt like I've never had a time that's stable in my life. And ultimately, though I have the most ability now, nothing is exactly stable. We're trying to get a new place to move all this stuff. It's like, nothing in life is ever stable. But the more stability you have, the more time you can take to reflect on finding that balance. I really admire the current position that I'm in where I work. I work for a mental health company and I see that it takes so much to help people who are either uh, homeless or in need of a lot of mental services because my company provides a lot of resources to help house them, to get them food, to get them water, to get them all these other essential necessities that you need for life. Just now I'm realizing that those things are so important because they're just the beginning of helping you. If you give someone those necessities, then they can really start to work through their trauma and find that balance every day in their life. 
Oh, man, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I think that's really underestimated. You can't address all of these higher level emotional and mental needs that you have without first making sure, okay, do you have clothes on your back? Are you fed? Do you feel safe right now? All these little things that I don't think we consider, especially when we're in a position of judgment, right? And I know we always want to be like, I never judge anybody. Like I'm a paragon of good and I would never. But I think we all do it sometimes, even without fully realizing. So it's so easy to look at somebody and say like, why haven't they found balance? Why haven't they found stability? Any number of things. But there's so much to the picture that we, we usually don't see. And um, I suppose to bring it back to Avatar The Last Airbender, what a privilege it was to get to see characters like Zuko in particular find those lower level needs met. And then through that, being able to address some of those higher level emotional needs that they had been lacking for a long time. And so it was cool to sort of see that hierarchy of, of needs being addressed for them and restoring the balance that they'd been seeking from their father and the Fire Nation for almost three seasons up to that point. Yeah, that's a great point because the moment that Zuko fully finds himself is when he gets that stability that he's always been looking for. And once he's welcomed back to the Fire Nation with open arms, he finally realizes that it's not what he expected. And truly what he really needed was that compassion, that love from everyone, and also to treat others with kindness and to follow his own destiny. You just touched on an aspect of the show that I don't think I fully internalized until this, this latest time watching. And look, I don't know why, but this whole idea of Zuko being embraced by his family, however superficially, but he got the thing that he wanted or that he thought he wanted. And he realized that it, it wasn't meant for him. You know, somebody had yeah. ordained that it was meant for him, but it wasn't something that he felt was right within his spirit. Do you feel like you've had instances where you're quote unquote on the right track and you're, you're doing the things that people have set out for you to do and you feel like you're doing everything appropriately, but it doesn't necessarily feel true to your heart and, and your spirit and what's calling you? Yeah, I think I think that's the story of my life in a larger sense. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to this, that we are put through school to get jobs and to get, you know, higher paying jobs. Our parents want us to be successful. I know my mother's always been like, oh, do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be an engineer? Luckily, I was very grateful that she asked me what I wanted to be. But I always had this pressure to perform, you know, to be someone who has a lot of money, a career set out in front of him to have like everything situated. I never really wanted that. I graduated with a degree in chemistry because I was like, oh man, science, scientists, all this stuff. I could be doing science or go to med school, things like that. And I just felt like, man, I should not have done that major, but I'm grateful that I did it because I learned a lot. But I think just, just, Everything is always just a learning experience. Just how every single time I watch Avatar talking about the show, I learn more and more about the show and about myself as a reflection. But 
It's the idea that I pushed myself into something that I wasn't truly excited for. And now I look back at my childhood, like I used to write stories. I used to do a bunch of fun, creative outlets that I'm realizing and trying to go back into because they bring me joy and they brought me joy back then. And I was too focused on something else that I couldn't see what I was actually looking for. Kudos to you for getting to a place where you're allowing yourself to indulge in those things that feel truer to you. Easier said than done. You know what I mean? I'm just now getting into this space of doing the podcast. And this is something that I wanted to do for a really long time. So I, I fully understand where you're coming from. And I think what we're getting at is one of the core tenets of Avatar The Last Airbender, which I would say is the journey of realizing your fullest and truest potential. And being okay with it, conflicting with what other people have set out for you. Your destiny is what you make it in a lot of ways. Even for somebody like the Avatar, like Aang, who has all of these pressures and anxieties placed upon his shoulders. In the end, you see that he makes a choice that honors what is best for the world at large, but also honors his philosophy on life. And his desire to stay true to himself. And I think that was a really poignant way to end the show. I don't want to spoil too much if folks have not seen the show and, and want to go check <laughs> it out. I think the ending is so gratifying if you like don't know what's going to happen just yet. But that theme definitely rings true for me towards the end. And also helping the folks around you realize their fullest potential. Once you have an understanding of who you want to be and where you want to go, it's a blessing if you ask me to be able to encourage somebody to go on that same journey for themselves. Yeah, I wanted to speak to you about that theme in the show as well, including the uncomfortable feeling that can come with becoming the best version of you. Yeah, no, that, that is a great point. And you put it so eloquently. That idea of becoming your best self is sort of like a false notion because there is no version of yourself that is your best self. You're always growing, you're always becoming better, but there's never a cap on how better you can become. And I think Avatar really shows that throughout the journey, the whole gang, it's really just them learning to become the better versions of themselves. And by the end, although it ends, you know, no spoilers, but it's nice. Like you do see them become the best versions of what you see in the show. Granted, you never know what they're going to do with more spinoffs and other things and movies and stuff that's coming out of the works. So this version of themselves, although it's the best version you saw, is never going to be the best version of themselves throughout their life. That's really hinted on the show with the past avatars, as Avatar Roku and Kyoshi and the other ones that Aang is able to connect with and learn more about their story. They are never perfect. I know especially Avatar Roku being friends with the Fire Lord was so problematic that he couldn't see his own best friend becoming this sort of villain in history. And I feel that although it's a huge point of shame and like regret that Roku has, it's not ultimately the end of the world, though it could have been. Very well could have been, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they've reached a point where they've mastered all the elements, each avatar still had other problems, whether it was like their own pride or they didn't see something coming. And I think that's just so innately human that if we keep striving for the best version of ourselves, we will never notice 
the better ones that we've become along the way. And I do like the metaphor that you use of the moving the goalpost. But for my view, there is never really a goalpost because you will never reach it, but you always sort of be moving throughout your whole life, just like how Avatar does it as well. That's really comforting, I guess, to know that there's not an end point. And so the sooner you allow yourself to free yourself of that notion, the sooner you can, I think, grow exponentially because you're, you're not looking to fill a certain box or a certain container. It's, it's limitless. And I think that's a really cool perspective to have. I like that point, too, because I do forget sometimes that these are like children. Uh, <laughs> they range from like 12 to 16 or 17. And like, that's kind of a, a dour perspective to imagine that these are the fully realized versions of these characters. And it's so promising to think that this is only the beginning for these characters. And to be watching the show as a kid, I, I hope that reflects on, on folks that are watching it now. It certainly reflected on me when I'm watching the show, even as an adult, that this is, is not where I intend to stop, both professionally, personally, emotionally, all of the things. I have endless potential to exceed my own expectations for who I can become and yeah, that's just really, it's really nice. It's a nice feeling to think about, right? Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, firstly, Tamor, you know, I have to thank you not only for just being a guest on Retrospection Connection, period, because I could thank you forever just for doing that. But you know more than anyone else just how much work and commitment it took to get to this point of, of finishing our journey together with this episode. And so once again, I thank you for being a part of this journey with me. And I want to extend that same courtesy to you as you're developing creatively and personally. I see you as a friend and I, I want to be a part of that journey with you. So I, I hope you'll allow me to do that. Oh, absolutely. Like this has been a huge pleasure. I'm really happy to be on here and definitely any other ones. I am absolutely ready to jump aboard and talk about anything that you need. But like we touched on like this right here, what you're making is an amazing creative project. And I'm very happy and proud that you are working towards this project that you are so passionate about. Just know that, you know, your potential is limitless. You can do anything. And, you know, I'm excited to see where this show goes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And on the topic of creative endeavors, I said I was not going to let you get out of here without talking about your creative endeavor. Please plug yourself. Tell the audience where we can find you, where we can find your work. I am a self-proclaimed huge fan of all that you've been putting out with your video essays on YouTube. So please tell the audience because I feel like if they like Retrospection Connection, they probably really fuck with what you've got going on. So talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I recently developed a video essay channel on YouTube by the name of Sable Stew. So Sable being one of my favorite animals and stew, meaning that I'm like in a stew when I'm thinking about so many topics. That's been a really fun and exciting experience. I do want to sort of branch out in terms of my socials, I guess where I create like an Instagram for Sable Stew and other things like that. So then that way everything is sort of housed in one central location. 
by the time this podcast comes out, maybe that's already established. You can follow me on probably any social media under that Sables2 handle. And yeah, that's where I'm posting video essays, talking about things a lot through mental health and a lot of empathy and just really trying to bring my own thoughts and experiences to a lot of the, my favorite shows, a lot of my favorite content, and hopefully do a lot of video essays that are just really interesting to me. You have an uncanny ability to see yourself in the media that you love. The way that you speak about it is so, like you were saying, so empathetic and open-minded and curious. And that's something that I really enjoy. And, and so I'm hoping that some of the audience that's listening right now will also see and feel a kindred spirit in you and check out some of your work because I think that spirit shines through. But before we stop talking about the show, I do have one last question, as basic as it is. I need to know, what bending style do you feel that you would possess in the Avatar verse? And give us two. Give us both what you would prefer, and just based on your temperament and who you are as a person, what you would have. If they align, that's fine. But if not, tell us the two. That, ooh, man. I got to pull up my BuzzFeed results for which vendor I am. <laughs> That's a great question. I've always wanted to be a firebender, just in the sense that I thought it was so beautiful how they portrayed fire as such a destructive force. And ever since I was a teen, I felt you know a lot of anger towards the world, a lot of not belonging, a lot of fire, essentially, in my soul that I felt like, oh, I'm a firebender, though what I think I actually am is though I may be like suffering and very angry at times, I'm very calm and collected at most points that airbending is probably what I align with, though I don't know if it's cooler. I kind of would like firebending a little bit more, maybe waterbending too to like heal as well. Earthbending is, uh, it's okay too. I just feel like airbending for me, it's just like with my personality and my temperament is very close to how I portray myself and how the world sees me. Though, can I just, you know, like I can be the avatar too. I'm open to that as well. Mind you, I didn't give you that option. So <laughs> got a little too much dip on your trip there. That's okay. Um, no, I, I think if anybody's ready and able to be the avatar, it is you to more. But I see that. I see both of those in you. I see the fire, especially like the version that is pure energy and life that we see later on in the show that's less destructive and more just powerful in, in like a really good sort of way. I see that there's a stoicism to you that I think would be able to keep that in check and under control. But yeah, I was going for air for you. And I think I have <laughs> that same sort of temperament myself of just choosing to see things lighter, experience the world in a bit more of an open-minded sort of way. And yeah, I see that in both of us for sure. Yeah. So you would be the same answer then? I think so. I used to say waterbending back in the day. I think I just mm. like the visual of the water and how it's animated in the show. But for me, where I'm at now, yeah, I'd say airbending. Just chill. Just chilling right now. <laughs> Trying to be above it if I can. Not always. I can't always help it, but... All right, and welcome back to Retrospection Connection. We are hopping right into ad break. Tamor, are you ready for me to ask you a few questions? I was born ready for this. 
I sensed that. I felt like, you know, this guy's born ready, more so than the other <laughs> guests. So I'm really glad to have you. Question one, hopping right into it. What's something you're doing for yourself that's making you feel like a kid again? Oh, that's a good question. I would probably say my wife for my birthday recently gifted me the Steam Deck. That is like a handheld video game console, like the Nintendo Switch, but it's for computer games. And I am diving into a lot of my old childhood games their emulation and other things like that, like Sonic the Hedgehog and other Nintendo games. So it's really feeding my inner child because I'm like, oh man, these are the games I used to play. And I'm like, oh, these are really dated. So it's really been a lot of fun and just really enjoyable to go back into those things at this stage in my life now. I love that. And on that note, do you have any starter games that you would maybe suggest a novice gamer get into specifically from your childhood oh that's like asking what is your favorite movie that is an impossible <laughs> question to answer it depends really on the genre i gotta ask you what are you looking for from a video game are you looking for a story are you looking for a mindless thing to play to relax to calm down these are good questions and i asked that because i never quite got into gaming in the way that i think i wanted to i had all the the makings of a gamer and then it just didn't quite pan out i think i would want a full story within the game because i love world building and you know expansive lore all of that sort of stuff. So if I could have that in a game and have that running concurrently through like all of the active parts of the game, that would be super fun for me. Definitely. My wife and I, uh, my wife, Sam, she loves this studio and I love this studio too. That had some financial difficulties, but now they're back apparently, but it's called Telltale and they do very interactive story-based games. They just made one on The Expanse, the sci-fi show that I have to get into too, but they do video games like about Batman, about The Walking Dead and other things. And it's played essentially like a movie where you move around in certain aspects, but all the dialogue between characters is you're just watching and you get to choose your character's dialogue. I would recommend for you, there's a game called The Wolf Among Us. It's a twist on the fairy tales like Snow White and The Big Bad Wolf and other things like that. You play as Bigby, the big bad wolf, and you are a detective in a homicide case. And so there is murder about in fairy tale land. So you get to see some cool, mature themes as well as a really good story. Ooh, I do love a spin on the traditional fairy tale. I think I love Shrek. I watched <laughs> the show Once Upon a Time back in the day, which is like putting these fairy tale characters into real life situations. That also reminded me of the movie Hoodwinked which is like oh. an animated movie from the mid 2000s. And yeah, I, I remember seem to remember some sort of like crime mystery played for laughs and for kids. But anyways, I say all that to say, good recommendation. I will be checking that out. Mayhaps. I do not have a single console to my name, so we shall see. But if I trust anybody, it'd be you. Thank you. I'm excited. If you ever play it, you just need a computer, though. I don't know if it's on Mac. So that's what I have. So yeah <laughs> back at square zero folks <laughs> okay question two how has your taste in media evolved over time and do you see any through lines between your current taste and that of your younger self that is a 
good question. As much as I don't want to sound like a snob, but I think it's gotten more refined. It's aged like a fine wine over here. <laughs> but I really think the parallels between what I used to like and what I like now are very similar. It's crazy how much that your childhood and your formative years develop you as a person. Because I've always been someone who's very interested in stories, the characters, and the overall themes. I was always a kid where they were like, oh, the curtains are blue because the author wants the scene to be sad. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's really cool. And then other people were like, no, they're, they're just blue. And I'm like, oh, but but I like I like that fanciful thinking of like, that's what they wanted to portray. And now that I'm at that age where I can write my own stuff, I'm like, oh, absolutely. The curtains are going to be blue because this is a sad scene. There's no other reason for it to be any other color other than to mean something. And I like finding a lot of meaning in shows. Though I would say I watch a lot more adult-themed shows now. Like I've seen The Sopranos, The Wire, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, where those shows are not meant for kids. But I, I love seeing like the deeper themes and all the information about the show rather than sort of the outward presentation for a lot of it. I think that's great. And it's such fun and kind of sometimes funny discourse about like specifically that whole blue curtains um, <laughs> example that you gave because yeah sometimes you're like it's actually not that deep and the creators will even come out and be like I did not mean anything by that to be honest you really read into that but to me that's like the fun thing about media analysis and like coming into understanding media in your own specific way because it almost does not matter what the creator had intended. It's really more about how you interpreted it and how it impacted you as a viewer. Like I, I'd say that's arguably the most important part of taking in a particular piece of media. Just my perspective, but I, yeah. I think it's cool how your desire to parse through a piece of media has translated from childhood to adulthood. Yeah, and Sam recently read this informational piece, which has sort of been my mantra. It's that the way that we produce art isn't necessarily just pure innovation. It's actually translating our experiences. So when we experience a show and other things like that, that's our own interpretations that we translate through. We create art that not, not that it mimics it, but it's our own internal interpretations that create life to art. Y'all are popping off. You and your wife are, <laughs> I, I just want to learn from you and perhaps have a meal with you all. I think I could leave with a huge brain, but I love that sentiment. We're never going to receive a piece of art exactly in the way that that artist put it out. It's always going to be a reflection of who we are and, and just how we've navigated our own lives. So very profound. I, I really like that. One more question. Are we okay for that? You bet. Okay. What is something that you would tell the younger Tamor? What is something that they need to hear from you right now? Wow. I'd probably tell him to invest in Bitcoin because that popped off. <laughs> but serious answer, I would probably tell myself that although that I may not think it, I'm trying to fit a mold with the people around me. And the way that I portray myself is not necessarily an authentic way that I portray myself. I've struggled with this a lot too. And Sam, again, as much as I mentioned her, because she's amazing, 
she has also told me that the things that I'm doing where I was making videos about games and you know having funny moments and other things like that and trying to be loud and obnoxious that wasn't really the type of person that I am I'm more thoughtful I'm more introspective I'm more focused on kindness and the people that I was with during like my school years and stuff although they really weren't bad people they weren't exactly fitting myself in sort of the way that I would hope and I was trying to sort of mold myself to be a member of their group rather than finding a group of people that support and love me for who I am that actually reminds me of a quote that I read aka I saw it on TikTok mm -hmm. um please accept that but it said something to the point of the opposite of belonging is fitting in and I don't know how much that resonates with you. It may not at all, but when you were speaking about your experience of being younger and aligning yourself with people that weren't bad, but weren't necessarily like serving your highest good and, and helping you realize your truest potential, it felt like you were trying to fit in rather than fostering a true sense of belonging. And so from the outside looking in, it seems like that's something that you really worked on a lot and you've done a really good job at finding people that you really truly belong with rather than just trying to fit in i really admire that in you thank you it's 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 been a journey and definitely like with the videos that i create now it's about sort of finding my voice finding how my voice fits in rather than changing my voice the way that it sounds mm -hmm. so you know making content with my own voice it's probably made me the proudest I've ever been with myself and also makes me feel like I have a voice to be heard and not just drown it out with all the other noise in the background. Absolutely you do and it weirdly gives me hope for myself to hear that at one point you thought maybe your voice wasn't worth sharing or that it didn't deserve to take up space because when I watch your videos, when I hear you speak, even just right now in this recording, I just see and hear somebody so wise and so intelligent and so thoughtful, so empathetic. I could just go on and on about you. But it says to me that this is absolutely a voice that needs to not only be heard, but amplified. I, I wish you that and nothing less. So it makes me feel good to know that like, Dang, this person that absolutely deserves this space maybe felt like that because I know I, I've certainly felt like that growing up and hell even to this day. So gives me something to look forward to, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You have an amazing voice and I love listening to your podcasts and the way you portray all these things. I, I have nothing but high hopes for your future, Jalen. Thank you. Oh, this turned into a love fest. <laughs> um, on that Avatar podcast I listen to, they call crying tear bending. So you oh, may yeah. you may catch me tear bending here towards the end. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to try to end it here. Thank you once more to more for being on this show and I hope that you'll be on many times more, but if not I just hope that we continue to inspire each other and, and help each other grow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and hopefully your listeners and you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.